Hello, and you're very welcome to The Week That Really Was with John McGurk and Sarah Ryan. It is the 18th of May, 2023. I am on my holidays. I am sunburnt. I'm lying out, not currently lying out a beach, but I spent most of the week lying out on a beach, observing from afar the goings-on in my homeland. Sarah, you're there. Um, how have you been? I'm fine, isn't it? Just nice for you, John, that you're sunburnt. Do you know what I mean? Like, God love you on your holidays. I, I you know, it's... It's nice to be on my holidays. It's not nice to be sunburnt. You know, I think a little bit more, more sympathy, Sarah, would have been nice, to be honest. That no, was a prompt. I, I had to bring my one-year-old for vaccines today, and it was very traumatizing for me and her. So I don't have much sympathy for you. Yeah, things, I understand. Things back here are crap. I understand. You know, years ago, I was on holidays uh, for the for the first time in ages. I think it was like 2014, 2015 or something. And um, it was my first time on holidays with my, my wife. And uh, I was there for three or four days. It was a really sunny part of the world. And the third day, I said, I don't need sunscreen anymore. I'm, so, I'm certainly acclimatized to the temperature now. <laughs> and I went out and I nearly ended up having to be in hospital. Um, so I, well, I'm not that bad this time. You but, went out uh, with no sun cream on. Well, there was, a, there was like one of those umbrellas over me. And I didn't know that. And this is, by the way, a lesson, listeners. If you're on holiday, those umbrellas don't prevent UV waves. You think you're in the shade, but the UV waves are still coming through. So that John, nobody needs that lesson. Nobody well, I, needs that lesson. Well, I did. I did. Just like the Irish Times needs a lesson in artificial mm. intelligence. So nice start, segue. Start the week off with a good transition. Because last week on this show, we talked a lot, extensively in fact, about an Irish Times article uh, which said that fake tan was racist. And you were very annoyed about it, Sarah, and you were right to be. But then it transpired that uh, it turned out that the article was a hoax in that not that the Irish Times were perpetrating a hoax on their readers, but that somebody had perpetrated a hoax on the Irish Times by submitting to them an article that was written by artificial intelligence. We think chat GPT and with a picture where apparently the person just went to an AI picture generator and went and typed in angry Hispanic feminist and uh, <laughs> submitted the picture uh, along with the article and gave the person a Hispanic name. And the Irish Times published it and then had to, this week, publish a humiliating apology in which they basically said we were duped. So that was funny. Yeah, well, first of all, just because there was a couple of hot takes on Twitter being like, oh, you guys should have checked your sources. Um, That's not the way sources work. This was an article that was printed in the Irish Times, for starters. Second of all, the reason why I got so annoyed about it is and I will stand up and say I believed it because that is the type of crap that people go on with these days and I'm still legitimately annoyed <clears throat> about the fact that women are it's always the women it's always women's issues women's sports women's spaces that are being dismantled slowly by the new by the woke agenda and uh, none of that being written by AI changed any of that but it was really really funny and 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 like the Irish Times apology I thought was kind of hollow because what they're saying is like oh you know we need to change our we need to change our um our you know what's the word um vetting processes for articles and stuff like that but you still printed it thinking yeah. that it was an art uh, that it was an argument worth having nobody and sat down and read that and went this is a load of nonsense. We're not going to print it. They went, this is a hot take. Interesting. So the that's York, that's the problem. Like, yeah, the, not the vetting. 
the New York Daily News, that giant of American tabloid publishing, I think in the 1960s, one of its editors used to have a sticker on the wall uh, reading too good to check. As in, sometimes a story would come along and it was too good to bother checking, just print it because it'll get people to read. So like a- aliens landing and abducting some fella in Kansas, that kind of thing. Too good to check. You know, people are going to buy that if it's on the front page, we print it. The Irish Times really operated in this instance on the too woke to check principle. The article was just too in line with the prejudices, I think, I have to say genuinely, of the opinion editor, the newly appointed opinion editor, Jennifer O'Connell. Um, who who was ultimately responsible, emails released by the prankster showed, for commissioning and signing off on this article. Um, in relation to people criticising you, Sarah, for not checking your sources, I mean, if you can't trust the Irish Times, who can you trust? I mean, we made the mistake of trusting the mainstream media that they would, uh, in this instance, you know, at least have an idea if somebody is publishing an article on their pages that they know who that person is and what their bona fides are. I mean, I edit a media platform, and if I did this, if I published an article submitted by somebody on some very gripty topic, which was submitted by um, a, a prankster with a fake image and an AI name, and I published that and it came out, I would be being crucified for it. Whereas the of Irish course. Times gets to shrug its shoulders and say, oh, you know, sorry, these things happen. We we learn and we'll get better. Come off it. You printed it because it was, you know, it was in this case, it was too good to check. Um, yeah. And the idea that you know, up to now, apparently, what we, we can learn is the Irish Times have obviously regularly been printing articles without really knowing who the person who sent them in is. I mean, this is the first time this has come to light. We don't know that there may be other people in the past who submitted articles under fake names or whatever. Um, and there's no, there's, I mean, it's funny. I don't know. Uh, we have a friend who's a regular uh, letter writer to the Irish Times. I'm not a regular letter to the Irish, writer to the Irish Times. I think I've submitted about six in my lifetime. But when you actually submit a letter, to them, to their editor's page, they, they they ask you to submit your address, your name and your phone number and your contact details. So apparently it's harder to get a letter published in the Irish Times than it is an op-ed, which I just mm. find to be astonishing. Oh, because people don't want their addresses and stuff associated with their, with their writing. I presume so. Yeah, I, I mean, presume. I don't know. I, I, like, I think that there's a lot of people who kind of spectacularly miss the point of the whole thing. You know, I saw a couple of people because we clipped one of my rants from last week and people were commenting on like, oh, this is age. And it's like, but it really hasn't because it's not really about me being annoyed about the latest attack. Like if that that article, like, you know, saying that women were racist for using fake tan basically didn't happen in a vacuum. Like it wasn't this siloed article that appeared out of nothing. It was an yet another article in the sea of articles that where we're being told that we're all racist or what transphobic or whatever it is that week. And, you know, I stand by everything that I said, like there's, there's, there's nothing has changed my mind as like, and as, as I just said, the fact that the Irish time printed it almost proves what I was saying. Do you know what I mean? That like, that, that, this is a huge, like it's one thing to the next. Do you know what I mean? Alan Coyne yeah, wrote an it, article defending it in the Independent, saying, "Oh well, you know, <clears throat> maybe there, is, you know, there is problems with women's uh, use of fake tan." Well, no, there isn't yeah, actually. But in terms of you being right, I mean, what I'd say is you were right just about the wrong target because obviously the author was fake, but the people who published it are very real. The people who read that article and said, "This is what our female readers need to hear about themselves." 
that exactly. person is very real. So um, this being written by AI doesn't really change that much as far as I'm concerned. It may, no. It's a hilarious, like, embarrassing faux pas for the Irish Times. And that's, that's great and that's fine as an aside. But it doesn't really change that much because they printed it. Well, they did and they got egg on their faces. And of course, what happened uh, is what always happens, which is the rest of the media kind of like terrified that this might happen to them in the future, kind of rallied around and said, oh, that's that's embarrassing. And we have a little chuckle, but we won't stick the boot in. The boot should have been stuck in because, I mean, as I think it was Ronan Mullen said in the Shannon, how often are we lectured? Every every other day about fake news and trustworthy sources and and cracking down on misinformation on social media. In this case, the misinformation was in the House Journal of the Irish Establishment, published proudly as a piece misrepresenting itself as being from a human being. And then the public are being told that they have to be wary of what they read from, you know, Johnny Murphy 65 on Facebook. It's yeah. it's it's um it's 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 it it just not only in terms of in terms of what you're talking about was it an embarrassment, but it casts into stark relief all these lectures we get about how the media are trustworthy sources and it's only you can only really trust the news if you read it on RTE or in the Irish Times or the Journal or the Independent. I mean, come on, I, it, it, they they don't even have basic standards of finding out who the people who write their articles are before they publish them. So it's uh, it, it casts the whole thing, I think, into stark and, they, and, and they're not saying, so that article that I just mentioned there by Ellen Coyne, I have it here in front of me where she says, there is a genuine discussion to be made about extreme efforts some white women go to to make themselves seem racially ambiguous. So you agree, fake channels is, <laughs> is a problem. Like, do you know what I mean? Nobody backed down from the argument. They just got embarrassed because it was written by AI. Yeah. But sure, like, so anyway, they're like... It was it was it was fun. I hope it happens again. But the argument was the argument is still that they printed it at all. If you ask it me, will, it will happen again. It will doubtlessly happen again because I think this is the principle. I think a lot of the media operate under this principle. Like it's too good. I mean, there was another example of it just today, um, actually, from News Talk. I don't know if you saw this, but News Talk published a story today. I just want to get this exactly right in terms of, yeah, their story today was that. Ireland will soon have a Mediterranean-style climate. Oh, I did see uh, that. I was so excited. Yeah. Yes, um, that was if the Earth is warm as 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels by 2027. 12 days earlier, on the 5th of May of this, this same month, so 12 days ago, News Talk published a headline, almost the only exception, Ireland may see colder weather due to climate change. So 12 years ago, we were going to have wetter winters and bigger storms because of climate change. And now today, uh, literally 12 days later, we're going to have a Mediterranean-style climate. So tell me, how do you trust the news? Which one of those stories from uh, the exact same media outlet is real? Is it going to be a Mediterranean-style climate or is it going to be a thermal winter? Because it, it seems to me when it comes to climate change, any headline, this is this is one example, any headline on climate change that tells you that the weather is going to be dramatic one way or the other is just too good to check. They will print it um, because it's in the right ideological direction. So if you want to stop this from happening, you have to, I don't know what it is, buy an electric car or whatever. Um, uh, there's, I mean, those two articles are completely inconsistent, published by the same outlet 12 days apart. And again, nobody passes any comment. Well, I pass comment, but hardly anyone else did. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Um, 
but it's the same old, same old, John. Like, it's like, you know, no one, like, you just said it there yourself. Nobody even in the other papers called the Irish Times to task on this AI thing. So if no one's ever checking you and the fact checkers come from the system that is reinforcing itself all the time, well, then what do you expect? Yeah. Anyway, speaking of nobody um, checking or challenging the media, um, some people did this week because I, I, we have to talk about what's going on in Clare, where uh, there is a hotel, and with no disrespect to the residents of Inch, the hotel at McGarner House is in the middle of nowhere, where the state has decided at short notice to accommodate, I think, up to 80 adult male, um, I, I don't know, if we're, we're not allowed to call them asylum seekers. Um, what are they called? International protection applicants uh, on short notice without telling anybody, which has provoked the residents of Inch to say, "Ah, uh-uh, this ain't happening here," and blockade the entrance with tractors and diggers and all sorts of other things. Um, now, the residents of Inch have become, in the eyes of Ireland's great and, and the good, public em- enemy number one this week. So, what's your take on that story? Before I give you mine, my take on this story is the same take I had. You know. This is all the government's fault, like entirely their fault. I think that people are fed up with the management of this. They're fed up with being called right way, alt right or whatever the latest shtick is whenever they ask questions. And I think the, the, the government have nobody to blame but themselves. It also just seems like such a chaotic mess all the time. People being moved from here to there, moved from one place to another. I saw a video the other day, people, now we're going back to City West. They were trying to move families. We were talking about it a couple of weeks ago, where it had worked. And then they're taking them all out of one hotel and moving them somewhere else. It's a complete mess. It's complete chaos. And it's not all right to ask whether this is a good system. I, I know, I know I'm, I, I've got connections in two smallish towns on either end of the country. And in both those towns, there is an old derelict hotel a hotel that went out of business in one case in the 1990s and another case in the 20 zeros. When you say there. derelict, do you mean, because I, I was trying to kind of figure that out the other day. When you say derelict, do you mean like it's completely empty? I mean that there have been no hotel guests in it for a decade or more. That but they both, In both of these cases, they've been lying empty, passing from one owner to another owner with no one quite sure what to do with them. Uh, for okay. ten or fifteen years, uh, but they've been there's been nobody serving carvery lunches in them. That that kind but, of hotel. But are they not in bits then? Like so, this well, is the, 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 like I mean, are the, they not the, completely falling apart? Well, if they are, this is part of the problem, Sarah. Because if yeah. you are the owners of those hotels, and this is what's causing anxiety in both those towns, then you can get money from the government to patch them up fairly quickly. Uh, I mean, I don't think the accommodations in McGowan House for these uh, for these uh, 83 or 84 men are particularly salubrious. It's just that they're able to patch them up, throw in a few beds, maybe get some hot water running, and Bob's your uncle. And there's a grant it's like... to do all that. And then there's a grant to feed the people who come there and all the rest of it. So if you own one of these buildings, it's it's a great business opportunity. But if you live in a town with one of those hotels, uh, as as people I know in two towns in the country are, you're just waiting on the day when the buses show up. Uh, and if the buses show up in either of those towns, there'll be protests, just like there are in Clare. But the, like, it's also fine, probably a step up for some people who've been sleeping in tents in Sandwood Street or wherever they've been, and that's fine. But it comes back to the original point, John, which is that, like, you know, if you're if if you're 
in a in a difficult position in your life and you become homeless. And I say, John, you can come over and stay in my house. And everybody says how wonderful I am because I invite you over. But when you actually get there, it's actually you're sleeping in the garden on the ground. Mm -hmm. Like I don't actually have anywhere to accommodate you. It it turns my good deed into a crap deed. And that's what's happening here. We don't have if we don't if people are sleeping in tents, you have to revise what's happening here. It's not all right to say this system, whatever is going on here, isn't working. It is someone sleeping in a tent on the road. Like, yeah, it is. It's astonishing to me that we haven't learned the lessons of France and Belgium. So in France and Belgium, where they have had for the last 10 or 15 years or so significant problems with uh, extremism, uh, those problems with extremism have come almost exclusively from second generation migrants. So they're the kids of the people who arrived to France and Belgium and were treated appallingly. Yeah. And their memory of those countries has been that this country treated my parents terribly. It treated me terribly. Uh, They shunted me into tenements and into uh, ghettos. And as a result, you've got rampant extremism. The worst part of all of this is that we are imposing huge suffering on and stress on local communities who don't want it. While at the same time, treating a lot of these people who we say we're, we're, we're treating very well like crap. And that's yeah. not the protesters who are treating them like crap. It's Roderick O'Gorman and the government who are treating them like like human, um, like cattle, essentially, like cattle to be accommodated in any old shed in any corner of the country uh, and then expecting them to be grateful for it. Um, and at the same time, anyone who speaks up against this, either from a humanitarian perspective or from a protecting their own community perspective, is shouted down as a racist and a bigot. I thought it was hilarious this week to see the Social Democrats finally getting a little bit of a taste of everyone else's medicine when suddenly this happened. Was it? Is it happening? In, it's happening in Santry, and now Roisin Shorthall is concerned that local residents aren't being consulted. And then we had Holly Kearns yesterday standing up in the doll saying, oh, well, the local residents in Clare haven't been consulted. And then today she's had to apologise because of the backlash she got from the left of her party for saying that maybe the people in Clare aren't bigots and racists and villains. So, I mean, yeah. the whole, it's it's a it's a uni party thing. I mean, there's no one in the, it's like the hate speech bill that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where uh, I saw a headline today in the Daily Mail saying that, I think it was Michael McDowell said that there were TDs in the Dáil who were scared to vote against it. There are TDs and senators in the Dáil who, who agree with every word we're saying. I know this because one of them texted oh, me we today. Talked. Well, we, we, I talked to them, yeah. yeah you talked to them as well. I mean, yeah. And they, they're terrified to say anything in public. They'll, they'll moan their heads off in private. Even the ones the who po- listen to, listen to yeah, this yeah. show will moan their heads off in private. Will they say anything in public? No, because they're afraid of uh, what Paul Murphy might say about them on Twitter, I think. Yeah, to the, to the point where, and I have to choose my words carefully here, one member of the Oireachtas that I know, I, like ribbed him a bit about a speech he made about something to do with some of these issues and I was shocked when he said no I fully believe that I fully believe what I said and I was like really and he's like no absolutely I 100% believe in what I was saying and I I was shocked because most of the time when you say this stuff to them they go oh yeah no I agree with you but I can't say that yeah uh... I finally found one who actually was like, yeah, you're totally, because I was like, what? it wasn't like a speech, it was a media thing. And I was like, what a load of shite. And he was like, no, I fully believe that. And I was like, you really do? You serious? 
Okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, yeah. So, you have, yeah. have, have, have to tell me off air who that I was. I will, I will, I will. <laughs> but um, oh. yeah, so so I mean, this is the the situation we're in 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 the country, and I mean, it was the there was the other incident last week since we were on air last, which happened in Sandwich Street in Pierce Street, where yeah. there was open conflict between. Um, I, I don't want to say it was a migrant camp because I don't think there are many migrant camps in, in this country that have no to NATO banners on them uh, or are exclusively populated by members of people for profit. Um, but there was that massive conflict between what appeared to be yet another attempt to create an inner city squat, uh, this time using the migrant crisis as leverage and uh, a, a mixture of very angry local people and anti-immigration campaigners who descended to make an issue out of it. And that that could have turned very ugly. I got in trouble, actually, for saying on social media that people's belongings shouldn't be burned. But I stand over that. I think I think that the, the scenes, I think if you're protesting in this country, you have a right to protest, you have a right to make your voice heard, you have a, a right to do what people in Clare are doing, which is to blockade the entrance to a building or anything like that, as long as, as, long as obviously you're not blockading a fire truck and there's a fire. Um, but I don't think you have the right to burn people's property, even if it is just pallets and tents. I don't think you have the right to do that. But that's the atmosphere that's being created. And the government is kind of standing by as sort of idle observers while lo- while lunatics on the left whip up um, sort of what they call anti-fascist sentiment. And people uh, like local residents get more and more and more frustrated and more and more drawn into a kind of an extreme way of thinking where they start to think that burning the thing down is the only option they have because they don't feel like they're being listened to. Uh, and the government is presiding over all this. Um, yeah. Which well, is I thought was interesting. What I thought was interesting about Sandwood Street as well is that I definitely noticed like um, a couple of things changing. So I have it here that Simon Harris tweeted um, utterly appalling and unacceptable scenes in Sandwood Street last night. Everyone in the country has a right to be safe. The right to protest is never a right to endanger or intimidate, obviously. And Liz Watson, Liz Watson is like a Fianna Fáil local area rep. Um, she, uh, I've met her a couple of times. She's um, from the inner city herself. Like she's from Pier Street, I think. And uh, she responded to him and she said, the local community has patiently waited for weeks for you to provide reasonable alternatives for those in the encampment encampment on Sandwood Street. Meanwhile, the local community was under siege and we all see how that played out. Totally preventable. And I don't mm-hmm. think that somebody like her or like a, polit- a local politician like that would have would have had the cojones to say to say that a few weeks ago. And I think that like people are starting to just start to when, when it's in their local community, they're starting to notice that like. The government is just totally ignoring any local concerns on the ground in favour of getting patting themselves on the back as being super great and accommodating for all and wonderful. Simon Harris doesn't care because he doesn't live down there, but she does. She lives down there. So she knows what she's talking about. On that note, what's fascinating about Claire is the way the local people are showing their faces. It's not, I mean, and they're indisputably local people. I mean, I'm sure that in the next couple of days, because it always happens, that the travelling circus from both sides will descend upon Inchon County Clare. It absolutely will. The usual brigade of citizen journalists on one side and um, and sort of left-wing activists on the other holding up signs, pretending to be locals themselves. They <laughs> you, all, can li- they, you can literally name them as well. Yeah, we won't name them, but we know, we all yeah. know who we're talking about. And it's not confined to one side. They will all descend and the locals will get kind of stuck in the middle. But for the moment... What's fascinating is that there's nobody in the country who can deny that you can't run the the usual line that's run in this situation, which is that this is the 
Irish Freedom Party or the National Party or wherever it is descending on, on Clare because they haven't arrived yet. They've been as surprised by this as anybody else. This is genuinely local people who are outraged and taking a stand on their own behalf um, because they don't feel like they're listened to. And now Timmy Dooley, uh, who is a local senator from Clare, is out. He's getting flayed on social media for talking to them and not calling them a racist. And he's trying to do what I call the Timmy Dooley shuffle, where on the one hand, he's sort of saying, he's saying, oh, look, I have a duty to talk to everyone and try and diffuse the situation, which is a kind of coded way of saying to uh, his his masters up in Dublin that he he sort of agrees the local people are sort of a bit backwards here, but he can't say that because he's engaging with them and representing them. Um, it's very funny to, to watch um, but they're and... all doing that, John. Like they're all doing that. There's like a. I was thinking today. There's this like fascinating um, word, Sanskrit word, and it's antavasan, and it means he who lives on the border. And it's like that's that's what they're all doing. They're trying to like he's trying to straddle the border between being a right wing extremist or in their mind, and but being still of the local people because he knows that on the ground, people are furious. And he's thinking yeah. about how many he's thinking about how many votes he got in those partic- those particular boxes in the last election, and he doesn't want to let them go. I was like, saying, I literally I, saw him tweet. Did he actually? I, I'm pretty sure I saw a tweet from earlier on that said, "I'm just doing my best to someone who <laughs> yes, called, yeah, who called yeah. him a racist." And it's like <laughs> he's like, oh, you love it. I love it. He's uh, oh look, um, he never Timmy. God bless him. He, Timmy. Timmy never met a bandwagon he didn't like. He didn't like. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I was going to say something like that, but um, yeah, it's 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 very amusing. Um, but at the same time, troubling to watch. I was say I was tweeting shortly before we came on this podcast that I don't know if you agree with this, but it feels to me very much like the atmosphere in the country around about the time. Uh, when you and I were young and voting for the first time, or around about the first time, the 2004 immigration referendum that Michael McDowell introduced where at that time you had the great and the good in the Irish Times and RTE and the Labour Party preaching about how we weren't a racist country and we were obviously going to vote against this thing. And, you know, the the overwhelming media opinion was running for a no vote. And in the end, when the public finally had their say, it was some absurd figure. It was was, was touch. I think it was it was between 80 and 90 percent. I couldn't tell you exactly where. But yeah, because I I remember uh, tallying that and being like, this is a waste of my time. Like, yeah, and you were tallying. You, I'm sure you were tallying, like in Dublin Southeast at the time, which would have been where there would have been high hopes of the of the evil referendum being rejected. And yeah, I don't think it that was. was. That was probably where it was in the low 80s, mm-hmm. um, and that would have been counted a liberal result. But I think that's. I think. I think the public mood is very similar to that. Maybe it's not 80, percent but I think if you had some form of a referendum on, on let's say, putting a, a cap for the next three years on people coming into the country or suspending new arrivals for the next six months or something like that, I think you would get 80% plus of people voting for it because people can do sums and they can see that the basic problem is there are more people coming into the country, there are fewer houses all the time, um, and the number of people we have don't go into the number of houses we have. Therefore, this crisis is going to metasize and metasize and metasize uh, until uh, until there are, are really serious consequences and those are coming. Um, yeah, and it's and, and and you see like this like evolution of it going on where you know today you can say you know some things that were racist a month ago, but they're no longer. You know what I mean? And it kind of goes yeah. along like it's it's complete nonsense, it, so that people can make themselves feel better. You know the government and the government like and this isn't 
this isn't just like emigration is only one issue where this this problem arises but the problem is that the government have just gotten themselves into this bubble where they don't listen and people are getting so fed up with being lectured to about whatever the issue is not listened to and then called names if they don't toe the line and that's being applied to multiple different things and it's i think you're right i think there was a if there was a referendum on multiple things they would be stunned at the results they would get because people have just had it yeah i think it'll be very interesting to see if something like i mean they are obviously having a referendum later on in the year on gender equality in the constitution I think it'll be interesting to see how that referendum goes because I think it could end up being a proxy vote for a lot of other things. I forgot um, about that. When's that yeah, going to be? This year at some stage, apparently. But who knows? They may call it off. Um, uh, but I think I think it was sort of tentatively scheduled for October-ish. We'll get the Metro uh, in to vote. <laughs> yeah, when that's finally... When that's finally... What's, we'll have to have a podcast on that at some stage, that saga. Along with all stop the other, off. All the, we'll stop off at the children's hospital on the metro and on their way to vote. You can phone me on the national broadband network while you're doing yeah. it. Um, anyway, uh, the other big story this week um, was a, a quite a serious one, um, which was the assault of a young, uh, I don't want to say child, because he's slightly older than a child, but he's certainly not an adult. I think he's about 14. A young yeah. kid in Navin on allegedly, and I want to use the word in uh, I want to use the word advisedly, allegedly homophobic grounds because the only the only information that suggests that the child anything about the child's sexuality is that the, the the victim in this case has pink hair, which I think is jumping somewhat to conclusions. But in in any case, there was um, ever so slightly, yeah, yeah. If, if in any case, uh, you said to me before we came on air, you didn't watch the video, and I think you were well advised not to, not because it's particularly graphic, but because of what I would describe as the sheer viciousness of the attack, the cruelty of it. I mean, it, you, you literally have a gang of young people uh, apparently egged on by what sounds to me like an adult voice surrounding a young person and kicking the crap out of them on the ground. And nobody says anything. Nobody tries to help from what I can see. Um, the most anyone does is sort of stand, stand, stand to one side and watch. I thought we were past that kind of thing in the country. But yes, uh, I thought we were a kind and compassionate place these days, but apparently not. Um, what, what were your thoughts on that, or did you have any? Well, I, yeah, you're right. I didn't watch it because I don't. Um, I just find a lot of things we've discussed this before that, like a lot of things, I just don't really want them to be in my um, head. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But um, and also, I think when you have kids, you just kind of imagine that it's one of yours. Um, but also that it's one of yours. I mean, I, I was thinking today about the parents of the people who were carrying this out. Like, where do you even go from there? What do you say if mm-hmm. it's one of your kids who's done this? Like, you don't have any control over your 14-year-old, what they do when you're not there. So I, I, like, I don't, I really don't know. I mean, it's horrendous. I was, um, I was, uh, this will come as a surprise to some people and probably not a surprise to others. Um, I was, I was bullied in school, um, <laughs> primary, primary school. Um, and I remember how horrible it is. I remember how, I, I remember how isolating and alone it can make you feel. Um, and I think probably, although in this case, we shouldn't play down the physical injuries this person has received, the, the, the cruelty 
that is inflicted by making somebody feel that hated um, yeah. should never be underestimated. Uh, and the, the the fact that it could, I mean, let's not pretend we're not innocents. You know, the fact that it could happen is not is not shocking. But to me, it was shocking that in a country where we are told all the time that we are so compassionate now and uh, where kids are always getting, I mean, they spend as much time teaching them sort of compassion and and kindness and tolerance in school as they do spend yeah. teaching maths. Something isn't working, um, yeah. is my initial reaction when I see that. There's something broken in society. There is a latent anger in young people that is directed at targets other than the government or their parents. There's a latent sort of anger about the world in a lot of young people. I don't know whether it's the internet. I don't know whether it's societal expectations. We've touched on the past on, on the influence of porn. Um, I don't know what it is, but there's something not quite right is my not very advanced diagnosis. But I, I think uh, it's feeling a lot of people share. I think as well, though, that, you know, like you're like I, I I was thinking about the 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 parents of the kids who carried it out partly because I was wondering about that like what you know we're supposed to be compassionate or whatever but you know I also think that children of a certain age should have a healthy dose of fear of mm-hmm. their their parents of their school of their teachers like I was pretty bold in school probably but I certainly was afraid to appoint um of my dad you know like finding out my dad was real would get pretty annoyed about bad behavior at school or anything that he determined to be kind of like rudeness to mm-hmm. people um and I certainly like had a uh you know like I just my dad had a, was an authoritarian figure and like he never put his hand on us once but it was it, it was definitely a disciplinarian and I was definitely afraid of what he thought of me and whatever and so I was wondering about like maybe it's not maybe it's not that what you're saying is that maybe it's not that the me too and the be kind is is absent maybe it's there so much so that people like that there isn't enough of a healthy dose of fear of of authority or your teachers or Mm -hmm. whatever like I saw a video during the week this week or last week that somebody was putting up about oh you know a teacher shouting at the class and was like oh isn't this shocking and I was like so what like so what if a teacher flips the lid and shouts at a classroom of 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 bo- teenage boys because they're being really ro- rude and bold? Like I don't have a problem with that. Like, do you know what I mean? It's not like, maybe maybe those kids because I was thinking if I got a call from the school, my you know my oldest child is six, so this isn't appropriate yet. But like I was thinking, what would I do now if that video had gone viral and my son was one of those kids? And I'm telling you now, John, like hand to God my son would be enrolled in boarding school next week if that was my kid i'd be like something's gone wrong here in a major way my child lacks empathy and compassion and i have done something like not right here or something's not right the crowd he's in with is not right but i am changing the physical physical dynamic here for him i'm changing his environment with immediate effect and i would be withdrawing him from that school they're probably going to be expelled anyway but he would be going to boarding school and i would be thinking you're, you no longer have a mobile phone, you no longer have this, you no longer have that, and I'm saving you from turning out to be, or continuing to be, a horrible human being. Will so, they be expelled, though? You said they'd probably be expelled. I mean, I, I don't want to prejudge anything, so I'm not going to talk anymore in specific terms about these kids, but what I will say is I would be surprised if in a case like this, 
it led to expulsion. I think in the current environment in which we live, it is much more likely to lead to counselling. It's okay, much more well, likely to, to lead to sort of like yeah, ex, a searching explanation for the reasons behind the behaviour um, along the lines of, does he feel alienated? Does he feel, you know, all this yeah, crap? Yeah. Was that, what somebody mean to him? Yeah, 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 sure. What but, the kid uh, needs is a kick up the arse. I mean, that, yeah, that's, the, that's but the, the school has also failed. That's my point. Like, you know, the way you hear this thing sometimes that like little kids are sociopaths, you know, like little kids are, are you know, like two year olds. They don't have empathy. They're, you know, they'll mm-hmm. crush a spider or whatever. But like at the same time, like teenagers, you know, that they, they need like, a level of discipline until they like I'm more empathetic now than I was when I was 14 are you like you also have to develop your personality your skills your understanding of other human beings your compassion for people's struggles their stories and some of that comes from life so the framework that is in place before you develop that ability for yourself has to be discipline has to be a healthy dose of some sort of fear of consequence and I think that a group of boys together like that in a pack there's not enough fear of consequence there. Otherwise, some at least one of them would have said, yep. here, lads, th- this is bad. Like, I'm not getting in trouble for this. We're going to get in such big trouble. Even if they don't have the empathy, they should yep. have some fear. Empathy is, I think, I think empathy is learned. Um, in I, that, do, I agree. In that it is, it is obviously, and by the way, all our liberal friends would agree with this because when I was working on the abortion referendum, I constantly used to get the, well, you'll never have a crisis pregnancy, which was true, which was yeah. true. Um, but, you know, I have gone through uh, a, a breakup, for example. I have um, come close to personal bankruptcy. I've had lots of terrible personal things Personal struggle, yeah. I've had, yeah, and so when other people are in those situations, I, I literally know how it feels. Some, some yeah. people are so empathetic, they can imagine how something feels, even if they've never experienced it themselves. But even that is largely based on, I think, personal experiences of traumas they've gone through. Or whatever the case may be, of some Whereas description, when, yeah, yeah. When you're when you're 14, you by and large haven't. You you there are obviously exceptions. There were some kids who've experienced terrible abuse and so on, but an average child will not have experienced mo- most of the horrible things that life can throw at you and will throw at you, and therefore they're not as naturally empathetic. So they do need fear. Uh, so I think yeah. we're agreed on that. They they need in place of empathy. They need to know that they shouldn't do certain things because if they do certain things, they'll get their ass whooped. Uh, maybe, apparently that's illegal now, so maybe not literally, but they'll they'll be grounded, which used to be the American solution. I don't even, I don't know if that's a thing here in Ireland or if that's another human rights abuse these days, but there, 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 were, there would be serious consequences. Um, I, I don't know, in terms of the criminal justice system, these kids are all juveniles, so they will never do a day in, in detention. If they see the inside of a court, it'll be a rap on the knuckles, and any record they get as a result of it will be expunged at the age of 18, even if the kid who they abused and beat up and traumatised, and, and what's worse, the video of it being everywhere in the country, which I think is probably yeah. worse for that kid, which is why I'm surprised people shared it the way they did. Um, the video of that being everywhere, um, the damage that kid suffered will not be erased at the age of 18, like the criminal records, if there are any of his assailants. So, yeah, I, I'm fairly appalled by it all. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I Like I said, I just think that, like, hashtag, you know, be kind and all that. Maybe there's a bit too much of it. And, like... I just there's an absence there of some sort of like teacher figure that makes them all stop because there was certainly one in my school 
you know, mm-hmm. there was that teacher, at least one teacher. Loads of teachers were really nice. But there's always at least one teacher that you absolutely were like, you know, shit your pants if you got caught doing something wrong by that particular teacher. And there's, I don't see any of that. And they'll yeah, well, like maybe maybe deep down they all know that no matter on the worst case scenario, they'll all be brought into a room to talk about their feelings. But really <laughs> what they need is, you know, a good a good whatever. They need Mihal Martin to give up his job in the doll, go back to being a principal and do a bit of his patented finger wagging at them. That's what they need. Yeah. Um, green tea. Only green tea for a month. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, was there anything else before we go this week? Yeah. The Irish media's unbelievable inability to comment on the fact that the Durham report has shown pretty much collusion between the Clinton campaign, the FBI, and Obama, the Obama administration too. Now, let's just remind people: this is the Durham report is an investigation into what we might call the the Russia collusion story. Am I right? Yes, this is the sorry, thing that I was. Have, what, what, I should have mentioned that. No, no, I'm just reminding myself. So just to, to, to stop me if I'm wrong about any of this. This is the Russia collusion story that every week for about the first three years of the Trump presidency featured in the Irish Times as latest investigation into Trump Russia collusion shows, and where there was a what what was his name the special prosecutor who was appointed Robert Mueller's investigation all of that sort of stuff. Featured every week as the Trump is finished now. He's at, and he was actually impeached over that Russia investigation. That's yeah. the one we're talking about. Yeah. And so we've we've got this Durham report now, which shows that basically the FBI, maybe not as an institution, but let's say politically motivated individuals within the FBI with ties to the Clinton campaign, basically cooked this all up in the attempt to win the 2016 election. Pretty much, yeah. Um, I saw it described as worse, worse than. Uh, worse than Watergate and far deeper into the bells of government than Watergate but yet nothing nothing um, but sure it was all in a good cause but you see this is the thing uh, this is the attitude isn't it this is, this, this is the attitude I mean it's not news because it was all in a good cause I mean we all got a few bits of column inches out of it we all got to live with the fantasy and I use the word advisedly that Donald Trump, who, who and listeners know, I'm no fan of Donald Trump. I hope he loses the upcoming Republican primary badly. I suspect he won't, but I hope he does. But anyway, he was the president of the United States and we were all justified in hating him. And we were all justified in believing anything bad about him and not being skeptical of it. And if it turns out it was all bullshit, well, sure, it was all in a good cause. That's the attitude, isn't it? Yeah, well, again, like I'm not, I'm not a particular fan of Trump at all, but like you know, the the point is that one should be able to hold two separate concepts at the same time, which is that you don't have to be a fan of Trump, but you do, but you can also at the same time say that them behaving like this and and this kind of effectively corruption that has been proven to be corruption and like reinforcing these lies about Donald Trump is still wrong. Mm-hmm. Like that doesn't mean I'm a fan of Trump. It just means it's still wrong and you're lowering whatever happened to when we go, when they go low, we go high. You know, was that not the famous line from uh, Michelle Obama? When they go low, we go high. So how do you explain this then? Well, you don't have to explain it because nobody will ever report on it because it doesn't suit the narrative. But it's not just the Trump thing. It's it's an example of a wider problem, which is I go back to um, COVID, I think really exposed this with the, where, where, Basically, anybody with a reasonable scientific objection to face masks or to lockdowns 
was shouted down on the basis that um you know we're, te- we're we are telling people that face masks work perfectly we're telling them that lockdowns are the best solution to the problem on the basis that we believe this therefore uh, our our insisting on this and not covering the other side of the story is in the greater good and our job as journalists is not to tell people the news it is to advance the greater good so in in one case it was it was shutting down all dissent in the face of covid in another case it was reinforcing to everyone that donald trump is a bad guy um all those lies and a lot of them were lies in both cases we're entirely justified on the basis that our job as journalists is to make the world a better place by convincing people of our opinions. That is the attitude that infests the entirety of the Irish media. You see it on Brexit as well, by the way, their coverage of Brexit, which is whatever you think of Brexit, entirely and utterly one-sided. I mean, the Irish media believes it is its job to keep approval of the European Union and Ireland high. Absolutely believes that. Um, therefore, you don't get any. I mean, do, do you remember just last year, there's the the scandal which is currently going on in the European Parliament where uh, an Eastern Euro, a, a Middle Eastern country was bribing MEPs. And this came right. out. I think it merited about, is, you say right, because I don't, did you even know about that? No. There you go. Um, major scandal in the European Parliament. Um, and you who follow the Irish news haven't even heard about it. And a lot of people haven't. Because uh, it's it's another example of where the media decides not to cover a story if that story might make people think the wrong things, and it's 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 we tie it back into the current immigration story as well, where if there, which is why Claire is interesting, where the local people are never interviewed because the media thinks it's their job to keep the focus on the few agitators in the traveling circus who go around the country, whipping these things up or or or. or capitalizing on them rather than interviewing local people's concerns because they'd rather make it about the big big bad far right than tell the truth which is that lots of local communities are very concerned so i think it's all part of the same pattern that's my my view of it yeah i mean Um, like but the 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 far right thing i say it i've said it before and i'll say it again like i just think that the far right alt right thing is just starting to wear thin because it's being mm-hmm. overused and people aren't falling for it. And you, you said yourself, like the people in Inch and places like that, they're showing their face. They don't care anymore. They don't yep. care. Like they're, they're, this is people's lives. I, I saw a tweet earlier on with someone saying, oh, uh, you know, um, sorry to the people of Inch, but I'll never spend a penny in your racist town. Yeah, but you don't live there. So yep. you don't care. This is just yeah. pantomime for you so that you can virtue signal on Twitter how unracist you are. Call other people racist and then tell them you'll never spend a penny in their town. I doubt they'll miss you. But like, I would love, I would love to get that person and stand them in front of a map of Ireland with nothing say, on the map and say, point out inch to me. Yeah, exactly. I would love and to like, do that. Um, yeah. But it's it's, it's just, like it's another opportunity for people to work virtue signal, and then when the when the like loonies from both sides of the art of the age old debates in Ireland show up next week, they'll go, oh, there's such and such, just pure pure example of how the alt right have taken over this debate. No, it was started by local residents. It's 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 a legitimate local resident concern. You didn't want to listen to that. You waited until the loonies showed up and then you use the loonies as an example of the fact that as a demonstration of proof that this is run by loonies. And you know what you're doing. The shtick is wearing thin. You do this every every, with every single thing and people are seeing through it. Thank God. All right. Look, we've gone for an hour, so we will leave it there. But as ever, 
thank you very much, Sarah, for your views. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Thank you for putting up with me as well. And uh, we will see you again this time next week for another edition of The Week That Really Was.